disclosure for just a minute or disclaimer. Um, Kelly is out of town. She's in Texas at a work conference. And uh, so if you would have had a camera at my house last night, in the middle of the night, you would have seen me wandering all night long, uh, unable to sleep. But uh, here, here I am. I'm drinking coffee. I've drank enough coffee to get me going. So um, it's funny. I don't know. Did you know that God has designed us in such a way we are creatures of habit? And we do things, and our mind tells us, okay, it's time for this to happen. And so uh, Kelly and I, and, and she may be watching, but she can't stop me because she's not here. But anyway, um, <laughs> Kelly and I have a, a routine, and I scratch her back at bedtime. That's just the routine. It's, I've, been, I've been doing it for, you know, 25 years. At this point, I can't, I can't get out of it. But something has happened in my mind that I've realized that when she goes out of town, as she does sometimes for work, when she goes out of town, it helps me fall asleep. And so basically what I'll do is I'll be laying there in the bed and, and, and I'll, I will scratch her pillow. <laughs> and my mind says, okay, it's time to fall asleep. And it actually, it worked finally for me. I was like, okay, this is working. This is how it works out. So there's a melatonin thing that kicks in, uh, which, uh, you know, I, you may not know scientifically what that is, but I'm aware that melatonin helps us sleep. Just a little doctoral uh, talk for you. Anyway, all jokes aside, uh, she's not with us today. And so um, I can say whatever I want in the service. <laughs> no. I will tell you that the topic today is our first sermon in a series called One Harvest. The title is So. And I just want to get it out of the way. I am talking about money today. So the ushers have been stationed at the doors as well as the security team. <laughs> You're in it. You're here. <laughs> Now, in all seriousness, can I just tell you my experience in, in pastoral ministry? There was quite a few number of years that I really didn't like preaching this message. Messages about money, about finances. I was uncomfortable with it. I didn't want to talk about it. And I, I would even give other staff, hey, you, you preach that one. I ain't preaching that one. I'll preach the next one. I would bring people in. Uh, will you please come preach on money at my church? And and. and Something there was a switch that got flipped in recent years that I not only enjoy and look forward to preaching this message, but it is something that I believe has a lot of power in the life of a believer. So I want to tell you something. There is no apology today for this message. Sometimes preachers take a lot of time apologizing for what they're about to talk about. I'm not apologizing about anything today because you know what? This is biblical. It's the Word of God. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to take part in the blessing of the Lord. And there are so many believers that have completely missed this piece of the gospel. We come to the Lord Jesus and trust Him with our eternity, yet we can't trust Him with our power bill. And I will tell you that in a day and age where there is so much wealth that is being squandered, can I tell you that the best place that you can put your money is in the kingdom 
of God. We're going to walk through it today, but let me, before I begin and before I pray, acknowledge something. I want to acknowledge the fact that according to the math, according to where we are at Greater Life Church, which, by the way, God has blessed us. We're so thankful. But according to what numbers I've been able to come with, 50% of the church, you, do not participate in this financial principle. Half. Now, there's something in church life called the 80-20 principle, which means 20% of the people do 80% of the work, 20% of the people do 80% of the giving, and so on and so forth. But, but if we just take the simple equation that half of the members or the membership or the attenders, whatever you want to call it, half of the people that get their spiritual food at Greater Life never pay for dinner. And I, I need you to lean in today to take these stigmas, to take the hmm, resistance that may even already be happening and recognize it for what it is because that is a lie from Satan. Because if you trust Jesus to save your soul, then your wallet needs to be rolled into that. So today I want to start with the brutal truth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Allow me to pray before we begin. Lord, have your way. Stir our hearts. God, I pray that this would be a message of incredible joy and blessing in the house. Give you these next few moments. I pray that all of us in this room today would do the same. Teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have, wonderful, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Notice that that is something that they have done to themselves by a choice of walking in disobedience and not including God in the financial part of their life, they struggle. And make no mistake, I'm not talking about financially struggling. You may be in a position like, well, I'm doing good. Yeah, well, you might be doing good, but in your heart of hearts, are you struggling or are you not? Are you running into things? It's like running against a brick wall. Like, man, I'm having struggles. I'm having challenges. I'm having obstacles. And you try your best to overcome and yet continue to fall flat. Why? Because you have not included God in the mix. So what is, number one, the remedy to the love of money. Notice that the scripture does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And you do not have to go very far to understand that part of the problem with this nation and frankly any nation in the world is that the love of money has become the root of all kinds of evil. Right? 
Can I tell you that the church should be a beacon of light and purity in a nation or in a world of evil? And I'm not saying today that you don't care about finances. Jesus taught more about money than he talked about hell, heaven, or prayer. Why? Because it matters. If the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, then you think Jesus would need to address it. So what is the remedy to the love of money? First of all is to love God more. To love God more. I've noticed something today that I've, in this, in preparing for this message this past week, as it has happened to me on occasion that God always shows me something new. Familiar topics, yet revelation. And so I found something, this love God more principle is the remedy to the love of money. On two occasions in Scripture, we see instances where the love of money is directly connected, hear me, to giving Satan control of one's heart. In the case of Judas Iscariot, if you don't know who Judas Iscariot is, he is the one that betrayed Jesus to the cross. He is the one that we love to hate. Man, Judas really, he, he backstabbed Jesus, he turned him over to the religious leaders, but do you know why? Because he loved money. In Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 3, so there can be no doubt. The scripture says in verse 3, then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Notice it's not then a demon, then an evil spirit, then a spirit of greed. Then Satan himself entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. <laughs> they were delighted and they promised to give him huh, money. How did he find himself at this place? How did Judas become such a person that was open to Satan entering his heart? Well, in John chapter 12, we see that this was his pattern. In John chapter 12, we see Judas Iscariot, verse 4, the disciple who would soon betray him said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole it for himself. Love of money opened the door to Satan entering his heart. Now, before you misunderstand, I do not believe that a child of God, a believer upon Jesus, can be possessed by the devil or his demons. I don't believe that that's something that can happen. You are full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. So I don't want you to misunderstand, but this was before the giving of the Holy Spirit. This was before the birth of the church. And, and Judas opened the door to Satan through the love of money. Sometimes we take these one-offs and we use example, but let me tell you, in the book of Acts, we see the same thing happening. 
In Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, we find a man named Ananias. There was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Here we have another example on the other side of the giving of the Holy Spirit. We find Ananias, who was a part of the church, yet could not have been a true believer on Jesus Christ because Satan entered his heart. What he did is decided that he loved money, money more than he loved God. Scripture continues to go on. Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. <laughs> the property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. You see, the principle is not you should have gave us all the money. The principle is you should have been honest about what you're actually doing. You are not deceiving us. You're deceiving God. Let's rewind back to Judas for just a minute. He was fussing about the money or the perfume that was spilt. And the Bible tells us that he had always been dipping his hand in the plate for his own personal gain. Are we foolish enough to believe that Jesus didn't know that? Of course he did. You see, at the end of the day, God has given us a free will and a freedom to make our own decisions with what we do with our money. We obey him with it or we hang on to it. And to put something to bed, if you're here today, well, I don't have all that much money, how can I love it? <laughs> you're loving the fact that you can control it better than giving God full control. The love of money. What's the second remedy to the love of money? Well, it's love stuff less. <laughs> I know, man. Love God more, love stuff less. Luke chapter 12, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. Rich man had a fertile farm and produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't, I don't have any room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but, have, but not have a rich relationship with God. What is the remedy to love stuff less? You see, the scriptures is clear. There's this 
story in Mark of a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. What should I do to get into the kingdom of God? He says, follow these commandments. And he says, I've got all that covered. Then said, go sell your stuff. And the Bible tells us that the rich young ruler walked away sad because he had a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and then Jesus goes on to say that it is very hard. It is difficult. It is near impossible for the wealthy to inherit the kingdom of God. Why? I've said this before, and I really do believe it to be true that there are many people that can't spiritually handle winning the lottery. You win the lottery, you have all that you need according to this world. Why in the world do you need to lean on God? Maybe sometimes our only prayer is for God to provide for us financially. And friend, I'm going to tell you, if you're not being obedient to his word, then how in the world is he obligated to provide anything? It's almost like we, we go and we commit a sin and immediately say, God, please keep me from the consequences of my sin. There is an obedience and a disobedience principle here. The remedy to the love of money is love God more and love stuff less. And before you believe that you don't have a lot of stuff, can I just remind you that the United States of America is the wealthiest nation on earth. If you slept last night with a roof over your head, notice I didn't even say bed. You could have been on a floor, but you had a roof over your head. And I'm assuming that you didn't walk here today, and if you did, it's because you wanted to get some calories in, out of you, wanted some exercise. If you drove here in some kind of vehicle and you slept with a roof over your head, you are in the top 1% of wealth of the world. That is the United States. Can I tell you why the United States, I believe, is in such a bad spiritual condition? Because we have all that we need. This message can be preached in the United States and it should be able to be preached in Africa and in South America and in the, in the most poor places of Europe, in refugee camps in Afghanistan. This message is true, that God can take care of all of your needs, yet you have an obligation to be obedient to him. I want to say this as boldly as I can. I know I cannot be a good steward of my finances unless I involve God. I will mess it up every step of the way. But as soon as I involve God, even though I'm an idiot sometimes, I have involved him, and he helps me. Amen? Number two, the second principle of so is the reminder to put God first. Now, that's easy for us to say. We put God first. Do you really? What's the, what's the saying? Put your money where your mouth is? You can say you put God first all day long, but if you're not putting God first in your finances, then are you really? No. Put God first, Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. If you think I'm being aggressive and I'm being harsh, <laughs> Jesus said, you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Oh, pastor, I'm not enslaved to money. I ain't got that much. <laughs> if you're not involving God and walking in obedience, then you're choosing to serve, try to serve two masters. That's what the scripture says. 
Verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about life, about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add in a single, mo a single moment to your life? Verse 28, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wild flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Many of us want that to say, seek the kingdom of God, and he will give you everything you want. Can we talk? There's a lot of things I want, but I don't need. You feel me? I had a boat one time that my dad left me. He gave it to me. And I know I don't need a boat. And I know I got rid of that boat after a couple of years. Because you know what happens to boats? They break. It's the gift that keeps on taking. <laughs> I want a boat, but I don't need a boat. And so the scriptures is pretty clear, guys. If we are giving and saying, I'm going to seek the kingdom of God first, and then I'll get this and this and this and this. I'm going to tell you there is a lie from the pit of hell in churches today. You got people promising cars that don't nobody need. Nobody. My check engine light's been on for I don't know how long. I figured out a way to get it to go off when it's inspection time. <laughs> Pastor Moises makes fun of me. But I got what I need. Amen? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus sums it up with this. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Can you say amen to that? You know how you stop worrying about tomorrow? You involve God today. Today. How, what is the reminder? How do we put God first? Well, it's the first 10%. It's the first 10%. The word tithe means tenth. So to say you tithe, but you only tithe 5%, that doesn't jive. Tithe means tenth, and it's a tenth of the increase. Pastor, how do I know if I'm supposed to tithe on it? Did you have it before? Then tithe. Well, what if I sold my car and I made some money on it? Well, did, did, is that called an increase? I don't know. Listen, if you're measuring how much you can get away with giving and still be within the parameters of obedience... Can I tell you, you're doing it wrong. I was fully prepared, by the way, for this to be a very quiet room for this sermon. But can I tell you that if we get it, 
your life will never be the same. There's a principle that established in the book of Genesis. The father of the faith, which is a man named Abraham, ran into the high priest of Salem with the name Melchizedek. The scripture tells us that he gave a tenth of everything that he won or his increase to Melchizedek. He tithed to the high priest. Who was this high priest? Well, I believe that Melchizedek is something that we call a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Why? Because in the book of Hebrews, we find Jesus Christ is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. There's some people running around today that say that you don't need to tithe. It's an Old Testament principle. Okay. Jesus didn't talk about it. Well, he did. But I don't want to go down that road. How about we do it this way? There's also a group of people that say homosexuality is okay because it's not spoken of specifically by Jesus in the New Testament. What do we believe? Do we believe the all of Scripture or do we pick, pick what parts we want? Come on. Either we believe it or we don't. And the Scriptures are clear. Melchizedek, the father of the faith, the very first quote-unquote believer in all of Scripture, gave a tithe to uh, Melchizedek. We are commanded, we are called, we are given an opportunity to give unto the Lord. 10%. It is a command that carries with it a promise. It is also a baseline. You see, Jesus mentioned tithe, but he didn't mention it as a stopping point. He mentioned it as a starting point. The New Testament is what we assume the tithe is. 10% would not have solved the needs of the whole in the New Testament church. Hear me. But the generosity of the whole met the needs of the whole and built the entire church from nothing in the book of Acts. It spread the gospel to the entire known world. What about a principle of first fruits, giving your best? Listen. We should never treat God as leftover. We've got to bring the best. There's principle again and again and again that we think and we consider God first. The first fruits, there's churches today that will have a first fruits offering at the beginning of the year. Now before, I'm not telling you that we're gonna roll anything like that out, but the principle is simple. God has to be first. And it's gotta be more than lip service. Oh, God's first in my life. Is he? Is he? The first fruits, the best, the first. All things will be added unto the one that puts God first. Top line budgeting. Let me do a little bit of budgeting, a little bit of a budgeting workshop for you. Everybody can download these sheets off of the internet. You can find budget worksheets and you can probably download an app, but I'm telling you that there's only a few budgets that you'll find where this, this line at the very top says tithe. You can find them and one is the first thing that you put at the very top. Most most of the things that are at the very top of budget worksheets is this other word called taxes. Because everybody's got to pay those. And I know, I mean, you knew that, right? Anyway, you'll learn. Top line budgeting. At the very top line of your budget, it should say tithe because that is God first. Put it to you this way. There's a preacher that I've heard say it this way. You want to um, give on the 
net and not the gross, then you're asking for a net blessing, not a gross blessing. How about that? Let's put God first. That way, our tenth of the increase doesn't change whether we live in Florida or California because you know the taxes are different there. You with me? We put God first. He's got to be first or he's nothing. So we put him first. Because can I tell you, when you put God first, the 90% you have left over seems to miraculously multiply. You're doing that little budget, say, oh my goodness, we're in a deficit. But guess what? Month after month and year after year, God has proven faithful to me and he will do the same for you if you put him first. He will provide all of your needs. But let me not get too far away from the topic and say, maybe you don't need that $800 car payment that you feel like you need. Maybe there's some adjustments that need to happen in your life and God will show you that. Maybe you need to work more than 20 hours a week when you feel like it. And before you look up here and say, well, this guy is given because he's got it to give. Let me tell you a story. I told a little bit of it last week, but let me finish it this week. My early marriage, Kelly and I found a duplex. It's about 900 square feet, I think, if that. Grace was a little bit less than one year old. And we sat there and couple of little young 20-somethings. Kelly has always worked, by the way. She watched kids, or she'd have a part-time job where she could take the kids with her, and of course now she's, she's on a, a work trip. And I, the year before, we got our taxes. And do you know that my taxes said I made in the whole year, the year before, when I was volunteering as a kids pastor, but I was working and installing carpet on, uh, you know, for my full-time day job, I made a lot of money. I made $12,000 for the whole year. 12000 Do you know what I gave God? 1200 Because he's first. We looked at that and said, how in the world are we still upright? Because God is faithful. But here's the best part of the story. And, and sometimes I want, I want to encourage you, whether you're a young adult or a teenager or, or, or you've been around on this earth for a long time, I want you to be able to have one of these stories of God's goodness. We're sitting there in this little duplex, and we put the bills out on the table because we were a few hundred dollars shy. That month, we just did not have it. I was working. Uh, I would run a vending route. I'd wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'd go put honey buns in machines all over the Charlotte area. As a matter of fact, I was going crazy because there'd be a couple times I woke up in the middle of the night and I was going, honey buns, honey buns, honey buns, honey buns. And Kelly had to say, what are you doing? Oh, sorry. I don't know if you know, but honey buns are the number one seller in vending machines all over the world. Anyway, I love me a honey bun. Now I'm distracted. I was talking honey buns. The precious little guy I worked for, he used to tell me, hey man, if you need something off of that truck, go ahead and help yourself. Just don't feed the family for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Can I tell you, that was a miracle in and of itself. I ate more out-of-date out of sandwiches in that year than I've ever ate in my whole life. They're still good, anyway. And I had moved up in the world. 
I was now making $24,000 a year. I mean, I know that's astronomical. It's hard to get your head around. I was living in this little duplex. Kelly and I were sitting there at the coffee table, and we laid the, we laid the bills down. We laid hands on it and prayed. I remember praying. And my prayer went something like this. I said, Lord, these are your problem. We have been faithful. We have given. We've obeyed you. And these are your problem. And I remember praying in that prayer, God, I don't want to call my daddy and my mama. I want you to provide for my needs. Hmm. As soon as we said amen, there was a knock on the door. And my weird neighbor was standing there. And he says, God just told me to pay your rent for six months. I'm not making any of that up. It happened in my life. See, here's the thing. I only needed a few hundred dollars. But God paid my rent for six months. Because he is the God that does above and beyond all we ask or think when we honor him first. Amen? And he loves us so much that even when we make a decision to slight him and put him second, he still takes care of us. But can I tell you that we have got to be in a position in our spiritual walk that we don't just take it because he loves us. We take it because we have now covenanted with him and we are walking in obedience. Amen? The third thing, the results of obedience. Jesus just laid it out, but to remind you, one of the results of obedience is this thing called peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make any sense to a world that has no money and no sense, and they just love money, and it's the root of all kinds of evil. And yet the people that love Jesus are walking in blessing, and their needs are being met. It makes no sense, yet God is not a God who, quote-unquote, makes sense to the world. He is a miraculous, eternal, awesome God. And he does things that are supernatural. And he can give you peace that passes understanding. The moment that you walk in obedience to him, it's his problem. There is something freeing in that. Quick question. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever worried about finances? You want to make it God's problem? Walk in obedience. The second promise of the result of obedience is prosperity that surpasses finances. Before you think I'm up here preaching a prosperity message, don't get it wrong. You see, God is using the finances as a measure of your commitment and your obedience. But you know what? The blessings flow way beyond your bank account. They flow into every area and every facet of your life. Because if you can trust him with the tangible, then you can see him do the intangible. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I need my piano player to come. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. 
Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room, enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. I and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This talks about food, crops. Can I translate that to what we are at, where we're at today? Last week, actually right now, Pastor Anthony Calvert and our Greater Life Mora campus is launching. They're happening, having service right now. Last week, he was given an opportunity to go to East Mech High School and to feed the teachers. So he and I are texting back and forth. He said, man, this is gonna cost like over a thousand bucks. You think we should? I'm like, yeah, do it. Thousand dollars is a lot of money. But I was able to say yes with enthusiasm because you have been faithful. 50% are doing what God has laid out. And even on that, we've been able to plant a church in Locust and now one in Mora and another one to come in Waxhaw in the new year. I shudder to think <laughs> of what we can do if everybody's on board. My goodness greater things. Amen. Let me finish the story about $1,000 to the invest in the East, East Mech. He went and fed teachers. 190 teachers came through. Listen to me. He was able to gather, 80% of them gathered their information on a contact card. They wanted to be a part of this new church. Can I just tell you how crazy that is? No, wait, 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 wait. I don't have 80% of y'all's information. Seriously, that was, me and him stood right here, just with mouths, mouths agape. How in the world did you get that information? How in the world are there 80% of 190 teachers, which represents 190 families in East Charlotte, revival is going to happen? Because we can say yes. I get an email from Amit Sundas, who is our India pastor. There's two campuses out there, and he sends me an email, and he lists all the amounts. We need all this amount to be a blessing in our big Christmas outreach, and they're in rupees or rupees or whatever. Is it rupees? They're in rupees, and, and the number is like 500,000 rupees. I'm like, oh, my goodness. What is this in U.S. dollars? Anyway, I got the number. But it's just over $1,000. 
I'm like, yes. Yes, I will yes a thousand dollars again and again and again if the Lord continues to bless this ministry through you. Here's the thing. I'm a church planner at heart. I get to preach in Locust next week. We're a parent church. We're quickly coming to a place where we have three in the U.S. and two in India daughter churches I think God's given me a parent's heart for these churches too because when they call me and say we need help I want to say yes every time I want to say yes we'll help you add on yes we'll help you expand yes we'll help you minister to those people yes we'll make the investment and and can I just can I just talk to you for a minute they're growing their need is going to grow with that. I want to be able to say yes again and again and again. And what I'm saying is I need you. We need to come together. Let me lay it out for you. There's going to be some people walking around right now and they've got these cards. Here's, here's who needs these cards. If you are... If you're a family and you, you're together and you're giving, your, your finances are tied together, if you're a quote-unquote giving unit, then you need these cards. Raise your hands. They're going to give them out right now. I want everybody to have one. Everybody, whether you give now or not, because there's a response that's coming. Whether you give now or not, I want every person that would be considered a giving unit to have one of these. If you're a guest here today, I'll put it to you this way. There's no expectation, of course. But you know what it's called when you eat and run? Dining and dashing. So if you've ate some spiritual food today, I want to give you this an opportunity too. How about that? This is going to be powerful. I know, I believe it. I believe it. Now, now that you've got those cards, anybody else left? Raise your hand real quick. Everybody's got the card. Good. Here's what it says. I commit to sow financially into the ministry of Greater Life Church. Your name, your email. And then the question that follows, I'm currently sowing financially in the ministry at Greater Life Church, yes or no? No amount needed, just yes or no. If you're not, it's okay. But today that could change because you're gonna make a commitment, I believe. And here's the little thing, this, this tears off. And this is what you're gonna keep. I want you to keep it on your fridge. I want you to keep it on your where your bills are, keep it in your wallet, keep it in your purse. Look at these three things. If you do, if you don't choose to walk in this obedience, if you don't, let me tell you something, you're gonna miss out. It's right here. You'll miss out. I'm preaching with such passion today because I truly believe this could change your life forever. You'll miss out. If you don't, you'll misuse. Not including God in your finances is removing him and his wisdom from your financial plan. You misuse. If you don't, hear me, your family misses out. There's a generational blessing that you begin to walk in. You have the opportunity to make a financial investment in the kingdom of God and according to the scriptures, there's thousands of generations should the Lord tarry that will follow and walk in that blessing. If you do, 
You walk in blessing. The window is now open. You walk in peace, knowing that you're in obedience. Can I tell you, for folks that don't give and don't walk in that obedience, the offering talk is the worst part of the service. It's almost like every Sunday when the offering talk happens, they can't wait. Oh my goodness, here it is again. Let me wait for this is over so I can get back to enjoying the service. But can I tell you, I want that to be something that you're leaning in and you're saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. You're gonna honor my obedience. You're gonna bless my life. You're gonna bless my family because I'm being obedient. You walk in peace. The third thing is you experience the benefit. The two little testimonies I just gave you about the Indian church, about the feeding the teachers, you can now say, I had a part of that because I gave. There might be a family that's saved in East Charlotte. Because I gave, there's a church now in Locust. Because I gave, there's gonna be a church in Waxhaw. Because I gave, there's a phase two that's being built for our youth and our young adults and our Espanol and our Nepali congregation. Because I gave, I have been a part of something greater. Will you commit? Fill that out right now. Put that name in that email. Whether you give or whether you don't, it's okay. But the question is this. The scripture says do not give under compulsion. That's what it says. Certainly, don't don't make a commitment that you're not going to fulfill. There's two words that the scripture uses. There's conviction, there's condemnation. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing. Because the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit requires us to respond in obedience. Now, if we don't respond in obedience to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it becomes condemnation. And now we walk out like the rich young ruler, sad because we got too much stuff and we're choosing not to include God in our finances. I don't want anybody in here to miss out on what God's doing. I'm saying, get in here with me. Let's do something really great for the kingdom. Amen. So what I'd like to do as we're closing is you're going to take that that card. Here's my commitment to you. Two things. Number one, right after this service, they're going to collect these cards. The nine o'clock service is already in my office and I'm going to pray over them for the next 90 days talked about habit God promised that he would pour out blessing he said test me so I trust that when God says test me he will follow through so I'm going to follow his example and I'm going to guarantee to you right now 90 days you commit to tithe and at the end of 90 days you come back and you tell me pastor I'm in a worse place it didn't work I need my money back. I'll write you a check. I'm not kidding. I've been doing this for 10 years. And in 10 years, I have had no one come back in 90 days wanting their money back because God is faithful. Amen? I want you to be a part of it. If you and I were having coffee together, I would just say, please, test God. 
and watch what he'll do. Amen. Well, pastor, I don't make a lot or I do make a lot. Can I tell you the principle of tithing? The more you make, the more it hurts in the beginning. Seriously. But can I also tell you the other principle is that when you flip the switch of obedience, there becomes an excitement within you. We've had people in the church that, that have never given anything in their whole life. Business owners and different people that have significant wealth that said, man, I just got a raise and I'm so excited that I now get to give this. I now get to give more. I now get to sow more into the kingdom because something happens in our hearts when we put God first. So the challenge is this, two things. Lay this card down and I'm gonna start. This is above and beyond my tithe. I do the auto thing. This is above and beyond my missions. Somebody gave me $100 for something. I can't even remember. But I got a little cash on me today. I got 100 bucks. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna drop this sew card down and I'm gonna start with this financial seed. It's a point of contact. If you wanna do that too, go ahead. Before we end, you need to hear my heart on this. Don't walk out of here thinking you gotta make up what you didn't do. God is not gonna ask you to go back to yesterday and undo that sin that you did. <laughs> Amen? I'm telling you today is the opportunity and that today is the day of salvation and today is the day of obedience. Start today and trust God with your finances. Amen? Fill these out. Drop them up here. I'm going to pray for you. And then we're done. Then you're going to go home. And guess what? We're going to be able to do so much more for the kingdom of God. I can't wait to share the testimonies that's going to flow from this. Oh, my goodness. Some of y'all about to get free. Lord Jesus, have your way. Do something that only you can do. As these precious people respond in faith, those that have been trusting you and even those that are making a decision today to trust you, that today, God, you would do something amazing, that even this week, you would turn back that blessing and help them to see your goodness. God, there's no doubt that you're able. And I pray that you would remove any doubt from any heart. The remedy, Lord, to the love of money is loving you more. And we decide to do that in this way at this moment. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come and sow that seed. Have a great week. God bless you.